have been looking at our series, and I also want to welcome those who are worshiping with us through LifeGate Outreach TV or uh, listening to the audio messages on iTunes and uh, Buzzsprouts. I want to say the Lord who is with us here will surely reach you where you are in Jesus' name. We have been on this series of uh, the Holy Spirit, my helper, the Holy Spirit, my helper, and um, it is such an awesome privilege for us. If we start it again, I can tell you things that we've not heard in each of the manifestations because it is such a deep subject. If we are to start it again from the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, uh, and the spirit of might, which we looked at last week, and today, by the grace of God, the spirit of knowledge, we will find things that we have never talked about in the course of these past five, six weeks. But I want you to know that that is how deep God is. Praise the Lord. So let us continue to plow. This is, that is why I say in this current series, because anytime we revisit these things, I believe God will be speaking to us in newer ways. Amen. So we are on divine help through the spirit of knowledge today. We have been using our seven uh, golden lampstand candlesticks on a golden lampstand to depict the manifestation. This is actually from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, which talks about the seven golden lampstands representing the spirit of God. And so we are looking today at the sixth one, which is the spirit of knowledge. We're saying the Holy Spirit is our helper. And we are saying that he helps us in all these ways, as the spirit of the Lord, as the spirit of wisdom, as the spirit of understanding, as the spirit of counsel, as the spirit of might, like we looked at last week. And I wouldn't want to take much time to summarize everything, but one thing I don't want us to forget about last week's teaching uh, by the way, it's on, it's, on, it's on all our portals now, even the uh, iTunes, the audio uh, uh, channels. Listen to those things because there's a lot to learn from them. Amen. Amen. The, the spirit of might, which we looked at last time, we, there's something I want to always remember about it. Many times when we talk about might, we're always thinking about physical strength, which is true. It's part of it. But above that, it starts with strengthening our spirit man, then strengthening our soul, our mind, and then strengthening our bodies. This is what he manifests as. And a believer who has a strengthened spirit man will, in all probability, conquer every attack of the enemy on his mind or even his body. How did David encourage himself in the Lord? He cried. His soul was weak. Their flesh was weak. The men wanted to stone him, 600 men wanting to stone him. So there was everything about fear and trouble. But the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. So the spirit man was not affected. The spirit man rose above all that situation and spoke to the soul. That's why when you read his psalm, he will say, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Because the spirit man is still charged. Never forget that about the spirit of might. When you hold on to this truth, it gives you stability in your journey of the faith forever. You remain strong. You remain immovable. The Bible says we should therefore stand and be immovable, unshakable. Praise the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It said, therefore, be immovable, unshakable. How can you be unshakable if your spirit man is weak? You remain unshakable when your spirit man is always strong. So the first place you need the spirit of might is a strong spirit. Hallelujah. And then when your spirit is strong, your soul has no, he has no choice than to follow the strong spirit. The soul is so 
full of emotions and feelings that it can easily be dissuaded. Weather, ordinary weather can make the soul depressed. Ordinary weather. <laughs> See, the soul just looks out and he sees a dark sky and he feels weak already. That's the soul for you. It is the spirit man that rises up and says, this is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice, we are glad. And then the soul says, ah, the spirit is bubbly. We might as well be happy. It's a shifty part of your being. The soul will follow whatever. If you let the flesh lead your soul, oh God have mercy. So you must keep your spirit man tuned with the spirit of God to keep allowing your soul to follow him. And when your soul follows, your body will follow. Hallelujah. Don't forget man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Whatever you do in your house is what the house is. If you hit the house, it's hot, isn't it? If you hit the house, it's hot. The house cannot just hit itself. When you hit the house, house says they have heated us, we are hot. That is how the spirit is. When you hit inside the body, the body will be charged up. So don't forget that. That's just a quick summary about the spirit of might and the prayer sessions we had in the course of the week. A lot were also discussed, which I believe we all learned from. But today we are looking at the spirit of knowledge. Hallelujah. We have read our scripture reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 18. We'll talk about it a little bit later on or parts of it. But our key anchor scripture has been from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Let's read verse 2 together, everybody. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is where we are looking at today, the spirit of knowledge. Next week, as we round up the series, we'll be looking at the spirit of the fear of the Lord. You see, when we talk about knowledge, we have to look at it in the many ways the Bible describes it. The word knowledge just refers to some kind of acknowledgement. Some kind of information that you acknowledge. You know, when you, when you say, I know something, oh, you say, now I know. You say, brother, I've been seeing you for so long, I don't know your name. And then he says, my name is George. You say, oh, now I know your name. You see, because you've acquired that information and then that becomes knowledge to you. And then you can relate to brother George better. You won't just say brother or you won't just say or hello. You will be able to say George when you see him. Amen. So the spirit of knowledge, when we talk about knowledge, it refers to recognition, acknowledgement. So to know something is to perceive it or just to be aware of it. The awareness of an information is knowledge. So many times in scripture, knowledge also carries the idea of some kind of deeper appreciation of something. You see, God said, now I know that you love me concerning Abraham. Did he not know before? No. It just, it just expressed a deeper appreciation. There is nothing God does not know. He's all-knowing. Amen. He's all-knowing. So it's not as if when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, then God suddenly got knowledge. No. He knew. But what he, when he said, now I know, what, I, what he's saying is that now I have a deeper appreciation of who you are in relationship with me. Because there are certain things about your life that you must prove. The Bible says the trying of our faith works out patience. It works out perseverance. So there are certain things that you must go through in order for you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience. If you are not tried with hatred, you cannot know that you can manifest love. It's easy to love when the whole circumstances are smooth. It's easy to serve God. If you are not tried with snow like this, you cannot prove your love for God by going through the kind of things that you go through to get here today. I'm not undermining it and I'm not sort of having a go at people who could not get here for obvious reasons. But you see, there are some of these things that we need to just see how it is. When we go through trials and situations and challenges, it is to to help us prove. And so the knowledge means that it helps us to also have a deeper appreciation of something or a relationship. Now, knowledge can be multifaceted. We can have knowledge in different ways. So somebody can have a knowledge of a subject and they will say, oh, the man is quite knowledgeable. If he's a good physicist, the world uh, lost one of the best physicists that ever lived in this world, basically from all generations, as in terms of his science, I don't agree with his theological basis, so I don't celebrate him per se in that light, but given to him, he was a clever, clever person. He was quite intelligent. He saw things in the cosmic realms that not, ordinary, not many people can easily see and relate to in the scientific world, in the person of Stephen Hawkins. Hawkins obviously was very brilliant, so we all knew he was knowledgeable. He basically invented the uh, theory of the cosmic theories. So we know that there can be that kind of knowledge. There can be the knowledge of some facts. You know, you you, you live in a town, as you navigate the towns, except you are like me, you, you can easily know all the streets. I somehow, streets are not just my friend. Thank God for the man who made that now. Thank God for that person. I pray for them every day because it's almost a problem between me and my wife. You say, but we passed here many times. I say, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> so I'll be going, I'll put Satnam. They say, you are putting Satnam. I have to put because somehow it's not my thing. It's not my thing. But some people just need to go once. Somebody like my wife, she just goes once and that's it. It sticks. There are some other things that I have unique ability for, if I see your plate number once, I don't need to memorize it. I don't need, I, somehow, once I see it once, I know that that is your car. If you ask me what it is, I can't tell you the numbers. But if I see your car parked, I say, that's your car. I don't know how it works, but that's how it works. So there are those kind of realms of knowledge that we can have. And it is good knowledge, but we must understand that as far as the word of God is concerned, the knowledge of God is the most valuable knowledge a human being can possess. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. When you have the knowledge of God, the Bible says something. The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning of knowledge. This one says knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise what? Wisdom and instructions. I've told you many times, anytime you see the word fool in scripture, just remember Psalm 14 verse 1. Anyone who disregards God. So like I said, with all due respect to the, the, the contributions of Stephen Hawkins, if he truly disregarded God till he finally died, then he was not really a wise man. If he said that, you know, there's nothing like God, everything is explained in science, then he was not truly a wise man because the Bible says fools. Those who disregard God despise wisdom and instruction. But the fear of the Lord is where every knowledge starts. So when you fear God, your knowledge is beginning. So anything you now build on top of that is holy knowledge. It's knowledge that can deliver life to you. Amen. 
God said in Hosea chapter 6 verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God said, this is what I desire. Mercy, not sacrifice. The world runs about to try to please God. People try to just please God with sacrifice. People do things to please God. So you see people who never go to church, but on Christmas Day, they will be in church. On Easter Day, they will be in church. On, on, on special weddings or special occasions, they will be in church. Because for them, that is, there is something on their inside that tells them that they, they have to have an affinity with God. But it is not on the platform of mercy. They are simply sacrificing. Micah 6, 8, don't turn to it, but write it down. The Bible says he has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you than to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with God? This is all that is required. But the Bible says he wants the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. We take burnt offerings to try to please God. This is why when Saul was, was disobeying God out of ignorance and pride, and impatience in First Samuel 15, before God rejected him, the Bible says he, he went and he offered the sacrifice when he was supposed to wait for Samuel. And Samuel said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? No. To obey is better than sacrifice. To fear God is better. Write down Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He said, for this is the whole duty. Somebody say the whole duty. This is the whole duty of man. To fear God and to keep his commandments. This is what it's all about. So not that sacrifices are bad. But sacrifice that is not built on the knowledge of God. And the fear of God is a waste of time. Hallelujah. And so we must see the place of knowledge. And also that, that we say knowledge is awareness. We should also remember that just knowing God. And just being aware of God's existence is good, but it's not the ultimate end of it. The knowledge of God must be encompassing of a deep appreciation for God and for a relationship with him. We must seek to go beyond just knowing God or knowing that God exists. So there are two types of knowledge. So when we talk about the fear of uh, when we talk about the spirit of knowledge, what we are saying is that the spirit of knowledge helps us in two realms of knowledge. And we said the knowledge we are talking about mostly is the knowledge of God. The first realm is where the, fear, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of knowledge helps us to know Christ as our savior. Because the Bible says that when we know God, when we know Christ, he said in John chapter 3, verse 16, isn't it? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, the Holy Spirit introduces Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of conviction. So, he gives us the knowledge of Christ. And when we accept that knowledge, we accept him, we know Jesus, and we accept him as our Lord and Savior. This is why the basic duty of the believers is to keep telling others to keep sharing that knowledge with others. There are many people around us today who think that they know the way of salvation, but they really don't know Christ. They know about him. They've read about him in history. 
They learned about him in CRS. They learned about him in, in schools and in places, or they've heard stories on the internet, or on the radio, or on telly, but they really do not know him. You know, you can know about something and not know the person. There are some people here in this country, if they describe all the players in some of the teams, you would think that they eat together every day. <laughs> if they take one team and analyze all the players, whether it's Chelsea or Arsenal, they will analyze everybody. You would think that they live with them, and they've never met any of them, none of them. But they are so passionate about knowing about them that they gather enough facts that they can present so many things that they know about them. But the people who really wine and dine with them, when you meet them, it's very different. They talk from a deep perspective. They say, oh, the guy likes eating whatever, spaghetti or pasta. I'm just calling something at random now. But the person who has actually sat with him and eaten pasta with him could have heard a story that told him why he prefers pasta to rice. Because he has a relational knowledge of him. The other person read it in books. That one of his his favorite food is spaghetti or pasta. So we can know about Christ and not know Christ. So the Holy Spirit, the spirit of knowledge helps us to know Christ. And the moment we cross that first barrier, it is called in Greek the ginosko. The beginning knowledge. G-I-N-O. O-S-K-O, Ginosko, the beginning of knowledge. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, is the Ginosko. It is where you start from. Anyone who is in a marital relationship, when you marry the very first day as a marital couple, you are living in the Ginosko of that person. You start and then you are learning. You have known the person. I believe that's why you married them. Because if you didn't know them at all and you married them, that is another matter altogether. But you've known some things about them that they are like this and this is it. And then you committed to that marital relationship. Now you are still operating at Genosco. It is a relational kind of knowledge that you gain on a day-to-day basis that takes you to the next realm of knowledge. And the spirit of knowledge helps us to know God in the same way. We start with the genosco and then we move to the second one called the oida, the O-I-D-A, the oida, the deep relational knowledge, intimate knowledge, intimate knowledge. The first one is beginning knowledge. The second one is intimate knowledge. Again, using a marital relationship, you will find that after certain time, in marriage, one year, two years, five years, you will suddenly find that you are now discovering things and knowing more, and typically that should help the relationship to be closer, not separated. Unfortunately, we do not allow the Holy Spirit in many cases when there is no fear of God in the marriage, we do not allow the Holy Spirit, or even where there is the fear of God, we do not allow the Holy Spirit to help us to see why our differences should not separate us. But rather, our differences should complement us. When we learn as we grow, what we find is that we are having an intimate knowledge. It should lead to our strengthening, not our separation. It works in every relationship. In church life, when we find that somebody is gifted in a particular area, rather than seeing them as a threat to us in our units or in the church setting or church leadership, 
We should leverage that strength and let it help us to be intimate and that knowledge should help us to be stronger. The same way we ought to be working closer with God. You see, when you are intimate with God, his agape love, the kind of love he has, the kind of love he is, takes over your natural love. The reason why we're finding it difficult to walk in agape love, the, kind, the God kind of love, is because we do not have enough intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. So we're still trying to love in the flesh. Our love is still based on reaction. Our love is still based on natural means. God so loved the world, he gave. That is agape love. He did not love the world, watch the world's reaction before giving. For God so loved the world, he gave. For God so loved the world, he gave. If you also love like God, you give. You don't wait for the other person to react or abuse your love before you just keep giving. Because agape love works on the altar of giving. It's unconditional. So when we have, the more we walk with God, the more, one day, I, you can go through scripture so many times, and then one day the spirit of knowledge will explode something in your heart. One day I just saw, for God is patient. I've been reading that scripture for 20 years or more. I said, oh, if God Almighty himself is patient, that simply means I must be patient. So anytime I see impatience in me, either towards a person who is refusing to do the right thing or even in me waiting on God to do what I ought to do right, I begin to challenge myself that I am being ungodly. This is an honest assessment you must make for yourself. For God is patient. You can always take every other scriptures. Love is kind. We know God is love. First Corinthians 13, isn't it? Love is kind. Love is also patient. Love does not envy. These are the things that when we have an intimate knowledge of God, they start to work with us. His supernatural way of thinking starts to become our portion as well. Now, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11, he said, her ways are not his ways. As the east is from the west, so are his ways farther from us. But you know something? The Bible says that it is possible for us to have and we have the mind of Christ. So we can also develop. So the test for us is to see how are we thinking. If, if I'm about to think about a situation, maybe something was done to me and I'm about to react, I should ask myself, how will God react in this situation? When they provoked him and said, you are the king of the Jews, <laughs> how did he react? When a robber, a robber, a condemned criminal looked at him and said, you, if you say you are the son of God, a condemned criminal who had no right whatsoever to say such a thing to Jesus. How did Jesus react when he said, if you are the son of God, save yourself and us? The guy is very clever. He was just, he's, he's being rude, but at the same time, he said, and us. So into he's looking for us. <laughs> He's being rude, but he's still wise. Maybe this thing can work, you know. <laughs> How did Jesus react? It was the other person. Jesus did not say one word. It was the other robber that said, which kind of character are you? This man has not done anything. We, we are here because we, you, you and I are criminals. This man has not done anything. And then that one, in God's wisdom, quickly said, please, if it is possible, 
Let me be with you today in paradise. When we know God intimately, we start to think like him. And the moment that one spoke the mind of God, what did Jesus say? He reacted to that one. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. There is a way you can think like God. Say, I can think like God. Say, I can think like God. I will think like God. What I'm saying to you now, 30 years ago, will sound like heresy. But thank God, we are learning more and we are knowing more. He wants us to think like him. Right from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God made man. In what? His image and after his So, what is his likeness? The way he desires to express himself. The way he is. The way he thinks. Hmm. So, it is possible for us to think like God. It comes on the altar of deep revelational knowledge. Daily seeking after God. Praying, studying the word. The more of the word of God you know, the more of the word of God you know intimately, the more godlike you become. How many of you know that if you live in this, if you live in a foreign country, the first year you will be like where you are coming from. You know, all the culture of where you are coming from, whatever that country is, where you could be American, you could be African, you could be any kind of thing. But for, for about a year, that, that you will still have a lot of that your culture in you. But the more you read, the more you interact. And you move intimately with the people of the land, the more you take on the form of those people. And at, at a certain point, people will come and see you. They can recognize from your accent that you are not originally from that place that you are now settled. But your mannerism, your, 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 your disposition starts to speak of the culture that you have embraced. This is how it is in the kingdom. When you are born again fresh, you are just... A, a Polish devil. <laughs> You're just like a Polish devil that, you know, you see devil, they put good suit on him. That's just what you look like. <laughs> then gradually, your, your, your language, somebody says something to you, the first day you got born again, you might react the same way you were reacting two days ago. But after a month of understanding that God is patient, God is kind, you start to see that your language is changing. You are no longer speaking unbelief. You are speaking more faith because you're, you are having an intimate order knowledge. The spirit of knowledge wants you to go beyond genosco. He wants you to go into order. He wants you to have that intimate relationship because that is what will make the Christian that is meant to shine the light. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. So we must continue to walk in the fullness of that. We have to keep doing those things. You see, our, we, when we, we exchange our lives with him, when we come to him, we have given God our own ways, our thoughts, our emotions and desires. If you are called into any realm of ministry whatsoever as a Christian, you must keep going for intimate knowledge. Oida knowledge is what will keep you strong because everything that tempts a person and pushes them to fall gets them to fall at the genosco level. But when you cross in any area to order knowledge, the knowledge that is intimate, it becomes impossible for the enemy to cheat you again in that realm because you are already operating like God. May that continue to be our portion in the name of Jesus.
Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Let's read together. It's on the screen. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Say, it is no longer I who live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So when he says, it is no longer I who live. So I. And then what is the I? That who is now the life I now live? Who is this I? One says, he's not living again. One says, I now live. Are we confused? No. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. So there is one person that was not in Christ. That is the I that no longer lives. But the I who is now a new creation lives by faith in the Son of God. And what is faith? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The knowledge of God improves your faith. The knowledge of God improves your standing. When you go for intimate knowledge, you live by faith in the Son of God. It takes over your life. You are stress-free. You are living like he lived. I told you this many, many times. The day I saw in the Bible that there was a storm and there were 13 people, 12 plus Jesus Christ, his disciples and Jesus on the boat. And the storm was vehemently against them. And people were panicking. Everybody, I'm sure, including Peter. Maybe Peter even led the shout the most because that's his, his specialty. <laughs> the Bible didn't say that. That's my paraphrase. But everybody, no, there was no record that there was any of them not shouting. All of them were saying, hey, we're going to perish. And then Jesus was sleeping in the same storm. I said, there is something here. If he could be sleeping in a storm, if I understand like he understands, I will be sleeping in every storm. I have no business trying to wake up and trying to control a storm with fear. No, some of us will say we are doing warfare, but what we are doing is is fear, fear. (laughs) Fear, fear. Fear, fear. Fear, F-E-A-R, F-A-R, F-A-I-R. Fear, fear. Let me call it the way you may understand. (laughs) We are not doing warfare. We are doing fear, fear, fear. (laughs) <laughs> F-E-A-R F-A-I-R Yeah? That's what we're doing. We say we're doing warfare. How do you know? You stand up and say, ah, this is serious matters. Oh Lord, help us. Help us, help us. Hey, what are we going to do now? You are mixing it all up. <laughs> what are we going to do now? Hey, you mean this is how we're going to die? Oh Lord, have mercy. Hey, hey, hey. That is fair, fair. That is not warfare. <laughs> I've never heard that word before. I'm just giving you. That's what you are doing. That's what you are doing. Jesus stood up. He asked them, he said, why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? What has caused you to doubt? And he left them alone and said to the storm, peace, be still. This is what we must get to. Paul, who did not live with them through that experience, but had a fresh encounter with God, lived like that. By the time we read about Paul, Acts chapter 9, he got saved. We have some fantastic series coming up later this year by the grace of God. We'll be looking at some of these things in the book of Acts. You'll be amazed at the depth of God. Hallelujah. He got saved in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 27, 
he was on a boat like everybody else. That boat was going to capsize. This one was a different case. This was doomed to capsize. And Paul knew that it would capsize. But Paul was at rest because he had already been told that he was going to minister at the other side. That he was going to be witnessing at the other side. So there was no, the Bible says they came to him and said, hey, let no man's heart fail him. Be at rest. Because God told me. Hallelujah. The knowledge, intimate knowledge of God makes you know things that are beyond the ordinary. And it makes you react beyond the ordinary. I always say you will live supernaturally, naturally. When your life is in that mode, your language is different. Your disposition is different. Your understanding is different. You are never afraid of anything. They say, oh, that thing is going to cost 100,000. And you are, you, are, you, are, you are panicking. You are panicking. No, no, no. You know, if you know that what the Bible says in Philippians 4.19 alone, if you understand Philippians 4.19, that's just one verse out of many. If you understand that the Bible says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory, not according to the money in any economy or to any bank account. You settle yourself. A great servant of God was told recently, or well, there was rumors about him, that he's worth $150 million. And he didn't say anything for a long time because he doesn't talk about many things. But then one day he opened up in, in the States and he was preaching at a, a, a church there. Um, I'm trying to remember the pastor now. We'll, 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 I'll remember his name later. He was preaching there and he said something. He said, I was told, I read in the papers that I'm worth $150 million. He said that that is an insult. <laughs> a big insult to my God. He said, you know what I'm worth? I am worth Philippians 4.19. <laughs> I said, that is the way to, to destroy the devil. <laughs> I'm sure the devil had that again. I, I went bad. Oh, this, this guy. He said, I'm worth Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all my need according to... Ah, that is not $150 million. That's not $150 million. That is in multiplied billions that are untold. So we must know there are certain things that the spirit of knowledge helps us. So when we talk about the spirit of knowledge, we're talking about experiential knowledge. Somebody say experiential knowledge. It means that it is something you know through living experience. Living experience. I was in a meeting sometime and somebody was talking about uh, a, a person I know very, very well, very, very well. And they talked and talked and they did all the analysis and said, this is what the person did. And I said, okay, I'm not disputing that they did that. I said, but this person I know is not naturally like that. Something must have caused it. Something must have caused it. I said, get to the bottom of it. Because I know them that that is not their way. That's not their way. Praise the Lord. So Jesus showed us this because... Everything we read in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 is really about Jesus Christ that we are also supposed to follow. Jesus demonstrated this realm of intimate knowledge in many ways. One of it, I'll just give you a quick, two, two quick examples. John chapter 6, one of my very favorite places I used to, in, to, to illustrate the kind of knowledge that Jesus walked in. The Bible says concerning Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 5. You know what happened? The people were hungry. They needed to feed them. Jesus said, the Bible says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes 
and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, what? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Somebody said there was a problem and there was a question. Now, there are many questions of life that are posed to you every day. Every one of you have questions that the devil, when you wake up, at times the devil will ask you, so what are you going to do about this? <laughs> so what are you going to do about this matter? It's still there. What are you going, how are you going to solve this matter? How are you going to pay this bill? How are you going to resolve this issue? How are you going to send this thing to Africa? Or to whichever country you, you need to send it to? Questions, 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 questions. Jesus said, where shall we buy bread? But look at the next verse. The Bible says, but, verse 6, let's read together. But he said this to do what? To test him. For he himself knew what he would do. He just wanted to know how Philip and co. were reasoning. Whether they have caught of his spirit or not. That's why I like Ezekiel. When the question was asked to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. Prophet Ezekiel, remember him? Instead of him to say, where are we going to get the money to, 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 what am I going to do to these bones? He said, Lord, you do what? You know. Only you know. Only you know. So it is so important that we rely on what God knows so that we can know what he knows and deliver ourselves from the prevailing circumstances every time. When you know what he knows, you can never be the same. You can never. It is impossible. Friends, it is impossible. The man, the Bible says, Jesus, he himself knew what he would do. And then the Bible says, he, 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 he asked for the five loaves and the two fish. Verse 10. Go to verse 10, please. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now look at what he did. He knew what he would do. Somebody say, he knew what he would do. And he did what he was to do. So he did not stop at knowing what to do. Verse 11 showed us exactly what he did. Let's read together. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he did what? Distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. The first thing he did was to give thanks with the five loaves and two fish. We cannot overemphasize the importance of thanksgiving. The Bible says, let the people praise thee, O God. Let the people praise thee. Then the earth shall yield forth her increase. Psalm 67 verse 5. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let the people praise thee. Then the earth shall yield forth her increase. How many of us know that many times we complain more than we praise? We complain more than we give thanks. What can this do? If you read the story, they said there is a boy here with five loaves and two fish. What can this do? Among the so many here. They use question to answer question. <laughs> they use question. Jesus said, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get bread? They said, what can this do? Instead of asking the master, Lord, what shall we do? How shall it be? Like Mary, like, uh, Mary asked. How shall it be? Because physically speaking, we cannot explain. 
When you ask God the right questions, you get the right answers. Ask in faith. The spirit of knowledge will give you the right answers. There are things that you must know for your life to move from where it is now to the next level. I was praying here about midnight, just overnight, and downstairs, and I was just worshiping all by myself. And the Holy Spirit was showing me things. And by myself, in my person, just me alone in the building, I was shouting and leaping because what I could see in the spirit is glorious and beautiful. Hallelujah. You have to understand how to break into that realm. You need to understand it. John 8, 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It shall make you free. The truth will keep you from every situation of bondage. Hallelujah. So the Bible says, he told them, give them as much as they wanted. Let us learn to know how to switch to thanksgiving. Everything. Whatever you are about to complain, look at it. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. There are some things that will happen to you in life. If God had told you that they will happen, you will beg him to take your life before they happen. (laughs) So he will not tell you. (laughs) If God tells you that this is going to happen... You say, this is your bright future. You say, yay, Lord, thank you. You say, but along the way, this is what will happen. You say, "Ah, if if I will go through this, I don't want. (laughs) So he doesn't bother to tell us those in between. If he told Joseph that there was prison, there is pit, there is prison, there is Potiphar's house, he will say, whatever, that king you want, go and find him somewhere. (laughs) Go and find that king somewhere. I'm not interested. You say, your brothers will bow down. I don't care. I don't want them to bow down. If it is to go to prison before they bow down, no, I I don't need their bowing down. (laughs) So he doesn't show us those things, but they are part of what we must go through. You must go through it as an individual. You must go through in your family. You must go through as a church. There are things that we must go through whether we like it or not. Because they will work together for our good and help us to build the capacity that God is desiring that we build. Hallelujah! It takes knowledge. His ways are past finding out. Hallelujah. Read up Matthew chapter 12. We don't have time to go into that now because we're about to break bread. Matthew chapter 12, the Bible says there was a demon-possessed man. They brought him to him in verse 22. And he was blind and mute and Jesus healed him. And then the man could now speak and he saw also. But the multitudes, verse 23, they were amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? But verse 24 tells us that the Pharisees, when they saw this, that this would be a credit again to the person we are trying to discredit. The Bible says they began to tell the people, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. When you are about to manifest in your workplace, in your ministry, in your life, the devil will use people to try to convince others that you are not it. The devil will use people against you. The devil will turn, try to turn the hearts of people against you. You will suddenly find that your, your line manager, the person who should take the decision about it, if care is not taken, is starting to see you in a different way. It is not out of the ordinary. It has come from the realm of the demons. The Bible says they didn't know what to say. They said to him, this man cast out by demons. And you see, look at verse 25. The Bible says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. 
And he said to them. Somebody say he knew their thoughts. So he knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And if you read on, he went on to say, how can the devil use the power of the devil to cast out devil? So he began to confound their foolishness. What am I trying to say? When you know the thoughts and the intents of people, your reaction is also different. He did not react to them by saying, oh, you guys say I'm, I'm a devil. Oh, no. And then he went cast down. He just simply showed them their foolishness. He simply showed them their foolishness. When people tell you you can't do something, show them their foolishness by depending on God to do that very thing. When you do it and your result shows, one great servant of God says, only a fool denies the evidence of proof. Only a fool. They say he can't do it, he can't do it, he can't do it, he can't do it. But then the man is doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it. Then they say, leave him alone, he's, he's, he's crazy. <laughs> they say he's a madman, just forget about him. That's how the devil, he came to Jesus first time, second time, third time. They say, he left him alone for a season. He left him alone. He will leave you alone. Amen. I say, he will leave you alone Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. When you know the thoughts of people, there are many people have... Sh- had given handshake, I've looked at them eyeball to eyeball, they have said things to me which I know were not true. Even though we were having a handshake and it looked as if it was a normal scenario, I knew they were lying to me, I knew they were deceiving me but I depend on this same spiritual knowledge to give a reaction that is godly. Hallelujah. It is not an easy thing to do. You need the spirit of knowledge to help you to do it but you will do so in the name of Jesus. It is the spirit of knowledge that gives us stability in these times. Isaiah 33 verse 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. The Lord will continue to keep you stable in the name of Jesus. When we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when we had our Bible reading earlier on, we have some verses there that tells us in verse 6. I just want to quickly tell, share that with us before we close. He said, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Say it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Every situation of life that brings darkness, God can command light out of it. The same way he did it in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. The whole earth was full of darkness. And darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Inside the darkness, light came out. And once light is exposed, darkness vanishes. If you take out light here now, darkness quickly resumes. Yeah? Is that not what happens? Take out all the light here now. Darkness will quickly resume again. But the moment you put on light, darkness vanishes. That is how God will be lightening up all the darkness around you. In the name of Jesus, it, it will be coming to you and manifesting by way of knowledge. You will know what to do. 5,000 plus people to be fed. How is it going to be? Light came forth. And everybody had more than enough. At the end of the day, they gathered 12 baskets full. We always say jokingly that one basket for each disciple. 
to keep reminding them that they should not be in unbelief. <laughs> so Peter carried his own basket home, all of them, one, one basket. So when they see that basket, they remember that he's faithful. That is my interpretation. Hallelujah. The Bible says, let's read verse seven. It says, but we have, let's read together, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse eight, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Somebody say knowledge. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Somebody say knowledge. We are persecuted, verse 9, but not forsaken. Somebody say knowledge. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Somebody say knowledge. You see, everything that delivers the counter effect to you is on the platform of knowledge. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Because we know that the Bible says that the Lord will continue to strengthen those that wait upon him. Knowledge. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We may be bedazzled, we may be confused, but we are not afraid because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We have knowledge. We have knowledge of the right spirit. Hallelujah. We are persecuted but not forsaken because we have knowledge that he said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah. Every time that you are going through things, you gain stability over trials, threats, persecutions, even your falling, even when you fall out of ignorance or simply fall out of pressure, out of weak strength. The Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, Proverbs 27.10, your strength is weak. So even if you fall out of weakness, in quote, the Bible says that you can also be strengthened again. May the Lord continue to help us with the spirit of knowledge in the name of Jesus. Proverbs 24 verse 5, before we break bread today. Say a wise man, let's read together. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. You will continue to increase in strength. As you gain the knowledge of God, you will continue to increase in strength. In the name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and just thank God for the word we have heard today.